Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Listening to Acton Millwall Emergency Broadcasting Special, a public service broadcast made on behalf of the Real Millwall Fan Show and Acton Millwall, broadcasting from South Bermondsey. Well, hello and welcome to part two of the wonderful interview with Tony Cascarino. The first part of this interview can be found at Acton Millwall 246. But now let's take you straight over to the continuation of the interview with Tony Cascarino. Do silly yeah. things sometimes, don't they? Yeah. You know, dark things. Yeah, dark things. You know, T- Tony, uh, what was the score the next day after that? After the Harry Ramsden's challenge? What, what <laughs> no, we had a dreadful result. I think Roy Keane said that in his book. Tw- 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 within twenty minutes, players were like, "Yeah, my legs are done. It's the yeah. chip. It's done. Well, Aaron, I mean. I do laugh because the Roy Keane that um, obviously Mick McCarthy had, Roy used to be with the lads because he was a young lad when he came into our team, first of all. So he was one mm. of the young lads. And when he came in, he was very much a part of everything. You know, the going out, the drinking, the whatever, you know, just the crazy nights. He was very much part of that. By the time Jack had left, Roy had become far more established as a player. And then Mick McCarthy got him the job and there wasn't much love lost there between the two of them as well as we well know and um Roy challenged him and then questioned everything that I mean if he if he'd have told the whole truth and gone what it was like under Jack Cholton and what we played on and what we did everyone would have said you're contradicting yourself Roy because it was 10 times worse with Big, uh, Big Jack than it was with Mick you know I mean, that's. I mean, you played in two teams. I mean, both Millwall and the Republic side. There, Tony, with what sounds like incredible team spirit, managers that promoted that in their, in their ways back then. I mean, just looking at your career, Aston Villa, Chelsea, Celtic, Marseille, and, and Nancy. Did anywhere else come close to that, that kind of team ethos, spirit, or were they the the high points in in that sense of your career? Um, I'll just go through them because I think it helps a bit. Yeah, uh, Aston Villa loved it. Loved the club. Wasn't there really long enough. To, I, I signed for Graham Taylor in March, left Millwall. Uh, Graham Taylor, I asked him the question because um, he was rumoured to be getting the England job that summer. Yeah. And I said, if I come, are you going to take the job? And he said, no. 
Uh, I went. He took the England job. Then <laughs> <laughs> um, Joseph Ben Gloss took over for a period of his season. I've really. forgotten him. I've forgotten that yeah. name. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and we had done okay, but we weren't. No, I mean, to, be, to, to the previous season, we was nowhere near as good as that. He, did, he was always going to lose his job. Ron Atkinson came in, and the first day he joined, he came up and said to me, um, "I've agreed a fee with Celtic, and uh, you can go if you want." Right. And that was it. That was the first conversation I had with Ron. Um, and I just, yeah, and to be fair, I'd rather it be like that, boys. You know, when you think you don't want no one lying to you and being dishonest and giving it's, you the old it's straightforward, I suppose. If straightforward, else. that was fine with me. Went to Celtic, dreadful, worst I've ever played in my career by country mile. Right, you know, it was just dreadful for me. I just, I was not in good condition physically, didn't play well, didn't enjoy it. It was just mental. In, in 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 Glasgow for me, I I just I just didn't enjoy it at all. Couldn't wait to get away, and not because Celtic wasn't a great club, because it is. Mm. It just seemed the perfect situation. Liam Brady was my my friend, and he became my manager. I went because of him. The Irish number nine goes and plays for Celtic. Perfect scenario. It couldn't have backfired worse. Um, so that's really in a nutshell. Um, Celtic was a very short stay and I tried desperately to get away. First time in my career I asked to leave a club. Um, right. okay. Um, and, and then, then you... I go to Chelsea, which was an amazing dressing room. Absolutely bonkers, the Chelsea <laughs> dressing room. They had the young guys, which was Jason Cundy, Frank Sinclair, Graham Stewart, and a good few others. And then there was the experienced players of Vinnie Jones... Uh, Andy Townsend, Dennis Wise, Kerry Dixon, Stevie Clark. They, so it was a real mad dressing room. I, I bet it was. I couldn't believe the dressing room there. <laughs> but it was honestly, it was absolutely bonkers. Uh, I, we'd, we'd get in and Ian Portfield, bless him, who's not with us anymore, he'd no, come in no. and say, Right, lads, we're doing 200 today, 100s, 50s, all dashes, real sprinting with those sessions today. And Vinny would go, oh, fuck off, Ian. We'll get the ball down. How did it? It was, that was bonkers. And then... The French, probably, the French period. I mean, that, that was Premier League as well, wasn't it? Sorry, just sorry. Uh, yeah, um, that's right. That, that Chelsea period was Premier League as well. Yes, I remember it Portfield, was. It, was Portfield uh, the first manager to get sacked that season or something? Who? What, uh, Chelsea? Yeah, Portfield. I think he was the first manager to get sat that season. Yeah, well, they. Well, yeah, well, what happened was um, he bought Robert Fleck for a record fee, and Ken Bates had made him quite clear if it doesn't work, your head's on the line. And Flecky really struggled, um, and he lost his job quite quickly. You're right. Uh, so it, it, it was a. I mean, to be fair, Ken Bates used to say this club could be one of the biggest clubs in London. And which at that time would seem like it was a million miles away. Yeah, it was a long, yeah, very different. Uh, but we, we had an amazing dressing room. But I, 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 the move to Marseille was very much like Ireland and Millwall uh, because I went and played for two clubs in France. I played probably my best football in my career at Marseille. I was, like I said, incredibly fit. Um, we played a game against Juve in a in a night in in November, we won two 0 and I got both, and it was just like I I, got, I couldn't believe how good I was physically at that time. Um, scored a lot of goals, worked so hard on everything, every aspect of my game. I worked really hard on. It was like as if I'd at the end of my career was it, I had two directions. I had a lucky break 
because of Marseille's situation, they had been relegated for problems um, yeah. to do with, you know, lots, lots of corruption going on in Marseille at that time. And um, I could have gone down the leagues in England, which, you know, because that's where I was heading. I was out of contract after World Cup 94. That's when I was, my contract had come up. Chelsea didn't offer me one. I uh, could have gone down to League Two, League One. I didn't want it. And then suddenly out of nowhere, Marseille came in and took me because, and I didn't know the circumstances. I got thrown a lifeline. And do you know what? If I'd say the biggest thing I'm proud of me as a player, what I did was I didn't go down on that slippery slope. I gave it my absolutely everything to play again for a big club. And Marseille, by the way... It's a huge club, too. Club. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's like Millwall passion. Yeah. You know, you've got 50,000 Marseille fans going crazy for everything and they drive you. And they just took to me immediately. And I, and I played, like I said, as best football I, I could have. I mean, I, I can remember grabbing the ball for the... We got a penalty in the, the first game we played. And I literally grabbed the ball. I wasn't the penalty taker. I took the ball, put it on the spot and scored. And it was like, from that moment on, I just scored goal after goal after goal. And, and all types of goals. If you ever do get a chance, I'm not bigging myself up here, but if you ever get a chance to see some of my goals at Marseille, yeah. you'd actually be surprised the type of goals I've got. But it was an amazing experience. And I did, I still think today, I'm the longest serving player to play abroad from these shores, which I did I did six seasons, six and a half seasons in in, free, in France. Tony, I mean, I want to I want to sort of like push on and and in fact build off the back of that um, about your book because I remember when it was released and I don't know how I got a copy of it, but I ended up reading it whilst I was in school. Obviously, listening to you when you had your show, The King and Cass, on Talk yeah. Sport, um, and you know I, I read about your book and and. Uh, it possibly one of the best sports books I've read. I mean, I'm I'm quite critical when it comes to, it. but building on your time in France, obviously, you know, if you've read the book, if listeners have read the book, they'll understand that you had personal problems. Then was football the release? Was scoring goals the release for your personal problems? Yeah, in a nutshell, Aaron. Yes, yeah, it was. Um, things off, you know, off the field weren't good for me, especially at Celtic, and and that obviously ended with a divorce, and then it took it you know, full on really in France. It was continued where I had problems, but I, I couldn't wait to be on that pitch, crossing that white line. And everything that happened off it, I could forget about and I could just play the game. And I played with a, a sort of attitude of, didn't give a monkeys really, you know. Mm. And I just played with that attitude of just didn't care what was going to happen in the game. And I thrived and... And I just, as I said this before, it's amazing with sportsmen, you know, sometimes where I can remember Jonathan Woodgate and Lee Boyer at Leeds, when they had all the troubles, they played their best football for Leeds. And sometimes sportsmen, when they're up against it and the real problems off the field, they'll play their best tennis, their best snooker, their best football. And it's really weird how it comes. And is it because you're in the arena of where you're comfortable? You know, I... It's a, it's a really, but you've made a great point, Aaron, on that because it was totally that. That focus on my game was as big as it's ever been. And I wasn't in a comfort zone. And do you know what? I was in the dressing room and vulnerable. Now, I've always said this as well. You know, when you get, I don't know your team is, Aaron, but if, if it's not Millwall or whatever, but you might be, you know, whoever, I suppose you are because we're doing a Millwall podcast. But <laughs> if, um, I, I've always said, when you get a lot of, um, not, not 
foreign players because that's unfair. But if you get the same click in a dressing room, whether it's from Northern lads or it's from, um, I don't know, um, French boys or and whoever comes in, if you get comfortable, you don't feel vulnerable. I, Marseille, I was the only English player, okay, or British player, or Irish player, whatever you want to say, okay? Um, and because I was vulnerable, I only worked in my game. And I think, and Bernard Tappy, who was the owner of, of Marseille at that time, I looked at his history of his teams and how good they were. And I asked him about it one day, and I, and I said to him about all the different personalities in the dressing room. He said, none of them are comfortable. And I was like, I didn't quite get what he meant by that. And, but years later, I did, because what he meant was, you don't have a click. You don't have any group dominating. And if you're a little bit vulnerable, there's always people who put you, not put you down, but put you in your place. And I've really felt strongly about that years down the line. When I look at some teams, I think, you know, if you look at Liverpool and what drives them and on Man City, and there's not really anyone that can totally feel safe. And when you're vulnerable, you always want to give a bit more to prove a bit more. And I felt like that at that Marseille. So I just wanted to ask about, obviously, once, once you retired from the game, I mean, you've gone on to develop a, 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 a high, high profile media career, really. I mean, journalism and, and, and radio and, and TV and the, and the rest of it. Um, were you, at what point do you start, did you start thinking about what next? I mean, I know you're playing in France. You're clearly a mature part of your career. Um, did you have these kinds of directions in mind at that point? Or did it, how did it come about? No, my book was the big game changer because when I released my book, I was still living in France and um, the editor, or not the sports editor uh, at the Times had read my book and wanted me, they'd introduced the game, which was obviously every Monday was coming yeah, out. Yeah, it was a Times wanted, thing. Yeah. yeah, and they wanted a bit of an off-the-wall sort of look at football and, and just something a bit different. Um, and obviously, because he read my book, he felt that I would be the right person for that, what he was trying to push forward. Um, so it was, it sort of was giving me an opportunity right? and I loved it. I, I loved it. I loved telling stories. I made a few headlines with stuff I said. Um, I like to talk football as you can guess, boys, yes. <laughs> you know, I, it's part of me and could I have gone down the coaching road? Yes. I just didn't really get the offer. So that really excited me. That was Jeff Burnage, who was who's you who'd know boys. Yeah, was, absolutely, he, Jeff. Yeah. He asked me why I wouldn't come for an interview and uh, for the Millwall job when Stevie Claridge got it. He went, why don't you put your name in there? And I was like, I'm not quite convinced it's the right time for me. Uh, and then it was lost, you know, that that opportunity. Uh, but I look, I've been in my media career now this is my 20 are they coming up 19 next year is 20 years in media yeah um and it's just been slightly longer than my football career and i really love it and it's i think you'll probably tell that i'm quite um free speaking and i, I don't try and lag my way along i just say sometimes it will get me in trouble i'll say something that I'll, i is not intentionally uh, bad, but can get me in a little bit of trouble because I just like to speak a bit from my heart, really, and that's how I've always been. Um, but do you know what, Tony? I mean, for me, on a personal level, I, di I didn't really want to share this actually, um, but on a personal level, reading your book at the age I did, sort of 12, 13, 14, and reading about your relationship with your father, it actually made me realize that it was very similar to my relationship with my dad. It opened my eyes a lot, and that's why I think that book has got a very sort of special place. 
you know, yeah. with, 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 with me. I mean, it's, it's, it's sad to say, but, you know, I could kind of empathise with you, do you know? And, and the fact that it wasn't fiction, the fact that it was, you know, real-life events, I could really sort of understand where you'd come from and, and what you'd experienced because I'd experienced that myself. Yeah, and I, I don't know, Aaron, obviously, your circumstances, but um, I've, I've got a very strong sister and I've got um, a mum that was very soft but, you know, very loving. Uh, but I've never had that from my dad. My, my dad was quite envious of me towards my relationship with my mum and my sister. He always had a bit of an issue with me growing up. Um, obviously, violence was a bit of an, another issue in, in itself. Um, but I always felt it was a weird... I never felt I was guided, Aaron. Um, so I had to mm. do it all myself, if you like. Maybe that... I don't know how you feel, whether you've had to find yourself... Maybe your brothers or your sisters have played a part. But I, I felt I never had the guidance from a, a father figure that makes me feel more confident. And maybe the vulnerability of I've sometimes talked as a player is because I didn't have that tool in my, in my pocket, you know, to, to use sometimes. And I think that's where I... I felt vulnerable as well. And it's very difficult because your circumstances could be different from mine, but you would have lent on someone along, along the way, I'm sure. I mean, I was, I was just going to say, you know, that I, I actually, obviously, when, when we first made contact a few days ago and, you know, you said you, you'd agreed to come on, I actually sat down with the book again and, like, read through and just sort of, like, skimmed through a few things, you know. Even when you talk about, you know, um, rooming, rooming with someone, you know, the, the thoughts you had in your head, I just sat down and think, you know what, this is the kind of thing I think about, you know, these are the kind of things I'd, I'd analyse someone <laughs> and what they're doing, you know, the, the descriptive nature of which you do things is, is absolutely brilliant. I think obviously that book makes, it's just so, so unique. Every, every single story, every single time, I mean, we could talk about it for hours. It, was, it, is, it is absolutely unreal um, the way you, you sort of like shared your life with people. Yeah, well, I'd, I'd like, if I give you a bit of background, when I... First, I was in Turkey and I spoke to the author, which is Paul Kimmage, who was a Tour de France cyclist, done three tours. I'd read Paul's book and I said to him, um, I said to him, I, Paul, I threw the idea about doing a book at him. And he looked at me and I can still see his look today. And he went, what the fuck would I do a book with you for? I said, I've got, I think I've got a story to tell Paul. I think I, you know, and he went, you're doing it for the money. <laughs> and I went, well, no, because it wasn't going to be that much money in any, any no, 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 no. Um, So I just said, no, I think I've got a story to tell. And he went, okay. He said, leave it with me. And I never heard anything for about three weeks. And then suddenly, because I was, I, was I was still playing in France at this time. I was still living in France at this time. And because um, it took a few years to do. And I was at Nancy towards the end of my career. Um, and um, all of a sudden I get this phone call. And I went, um, hey, and it's Paul, it's Kimmy. And I went, hey, Paul, are you okay? He went, yeah, I arrived tomorrow morning at 9.30 at Luxembourg. Can you pick me up? <laughs> so I said, yeah, okay. Uh, where, where are you staying then, Paul? He went, with you. <laughs> so, so I said, all oh, right, oh, right, okay. How long are you staying for? He went, well, minimum three days. Well, <laughs> we talked and we talked. a bit like we're doing now. And yeah, yeah, just, yeah. I just led one thing. And to be honest, I, my first conversations with Paul were, I don't want to do a book, Paul that's going to be, what did you have on FA Cup final morning? What did this? I just said, I want it to be a real open, frank, personal life with football included and take it from there. I said, where it'll lead us, I don't know. But Paul's got an incredible way. If you ever get a chance to read Paul's book, of uh, Rough Ride, even if you don't like cycling, 
it's a really great book. I, I, I wasn't a cycling fan, but once I read his book, I was like, wow. You're listening to Achten Millwall. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burroughs Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. But yeah, it's, it's, where, it's how it all started, really. And that we've all got stories to, uh, to tell. Some people like to keep things very private and keep it to themselves, which is not wrong at all. But there's other people like me that might go a bit further and you can think, is it dramatizing everything? No, this is what actually happened to me. And then and from there, people like Aaron might tell me a story that relates to me in this book, you know, and, and that to me gives me a lot of pleasure because it, you know, I wasn't the only one. I'm not trying to play a victim here or anything that happened. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a problem globally. You know, we know Absolutely. It of Absolutely. abuse and, uh, you know, dominating fathers or mothers or brothers, whoever. You know, it, it's just things that we... We're sort of told to put our head under the sheet and just, you know, keep quiet. And don't say too much. And, and, and I, I didn't want to do it like that. I wanted to go forward. It did cause me a few issues. Uh, my dad got very upset, but he, you know, I wish he'd have been upset when it happened. And it's a really tough one because he's, I'm, my dad's not well today and it's, um, he lives in America. So, but I still keep in touch every now and again and, but he's not a well man and um, he gets very, very emotional when I speak to him. So it's always a tough one. It's a cracking read. Tone. I mean, I, I, I read it when it came out and, um, you know, I can, I can endorse Aaron's, Aaron, what Aaron said. It's, it's a fantastic read. Um, just to, to 
slightly lighten the questions, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> um, um, I was fascinated to read on Wikipedia, celebrity, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this word, celebrity, ban- Banastor. Um, no, Gaelic- Banastor. Banastor, sorry, but um, apologies to any Irish listeners out there. Um, Banastor, a Gaelic football celebrity tournament that you won in 2011. I don't remember Gaelic football in the craze tone back in the day. (laughs) No. Do you know what? I got invited to do a TV series, which was, you know, typical sort of uh, reality TV, which I I wasn't really keen on. But this one was a bit different because it was coaching a GA team in Ireland, which is uh, obviously Gaelic football. Gaelic football, yeah. Yeah, and I I just really fancied it. I, I... I knew the, the background to the, the Gaelic football scene, uh, semi-professional, well, say semi-professional, it's amateur. Yeah. Um, it's just basically everyone chips in and does everything for their team and it's really followed enormously all over Ireland. And I got offered to manage a team and I took it on, loved it. It was just, it was rock and roll stuff with the team. I couldn't believe the goings on. <laughs> uh, I had a bodyguard with me. Well, have you seen this bodyguard? He was, like, was like three Popeyes. <laughs> we, we were in a place called Kalesham, which is um, sort of in the mid sort of island. Yeah. We were in this on the first night. We had a meeting and they had a raffle to raise money. And this guy, I don't know why I had a bodyguard. I didn't need one, but anyway, <laughs> he turns up. This guy is so big, and he and he says to me, "Do you want to play a Guinness Tony?" And I went, "Yeah, I'll have one." And I tried to sort of keep up drinking with him. This guy drank 20 pints of Guinness. And honestly, he didn't look like he'd had, and I was, I was doing the old vitamin in the plants by the end of the, because I couldn't drink what he was doing. And, and he just was, looked like he was sober as a judge by the end of the night. He, he was incredible with this guy. But it was just a mad, mad time. And I loved it, won it, and um, Fantastic. Great, very funny. Fantastic. I mean, I mean, it's amazing you talk about sort of GAA, but um, there was controversy about your actual Irish citizenship or your Irish roots. Mm. Um, of course, that came out in the book as well. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that was a, a funny old time. Yes, very, very much so, Aaron, because I played 66 times for Ireland and we were in, I think, Liechtenstein. We're in Liechtenstein and we were told the next international in Dublin, we had to prove all our doc- with all our documentation, uh, our Irishness <laughs> to, to get a passport because most of us played on a dual passport. So I had to, pre- and when I went through that procedure, um, I found out on my mum's birth certificate she was adopted. Right. So it was a big like, wow, I played six in for Ireland. And actually, my mum's, I've only just found out, and my mum didn't know either. So it was a real big, uh, of course, I'm thinking of my mum first. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, playing for Ireland was another thing. Uh, and so, and when I spoke about it in the book, I talked about as how, how I felt at that moment that I played 66 times, and now I've got, my mum's not got the birth, the birth parents have, would have made me qualify, you know, for, for the uh, Republic of Ireland. So when I spoke about I felt fake, because that's exactly how I did. I thought, what am I doing? I've played 66 times at this, this time, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but as the story unfolded, adoption law allowed you to play. So my mum was adopted by an Irish family, and because of that, that's how I ended up playing. Do you know, and I've told this to everybody, right? I don't know if you know my mum's, have you ever heard of my mum's name? No. 
No. Well, I'll tell you my mum's name, boys. My mum's name's Teresa O'Malley. So, you know, if the Irishness was to come from, if my dad would have been the Irish one instead of the Italian, you know, I would, my name would be O'Malley. Yeah. Don't get much more Irish than that, Tony. That's that's yeah, for sure. Yeah, my mum's name's my mum's name's Theresa O'Malley. Does that feeling of being a fake still still stay with you, or have you have no, you got past that now? No, I'm way past that. Loved every minute of it. Very very proud. You know, my mum was um, actually without. I always mess this up when I try and explain it. Mm. My mum was um, her her sister. She didn't know. All the all the years is actually her mum. Right. So, okay. Okay. So, which okay. was actually quite common. So we yeah. knew my mum because it was it was it was my auntie that really was my grandma. <laughs> so it was my, you know, do you see what I mean? It, it was that feeding down the channel, but yeah, it yeah. was the grandparents took control of my mum. So it, it was also in the family. But well, I understand. Yeah. Yeah. From, yeah. From yeah. So it. It's a, even I get it wrong. I still to this day I still say it, get it the wrong way around. But it was, she was actually she thought it was her sister for all them years, and it wasn't. It was her mum, well, which crazy. was again very common. Absolutely crazy. Well, um, well. I see. Should we grab a couple of questions from the listeners? Uh, Matt Webb has tweeted him very nicely and said, Nick slash Aaron, can you ask Tony what was his favourite match and his favourite goal for Millwall? It's from his boy, Ronnie, age nine. Hello, Ronnie. Um, be careful with the dodgy language as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, sorry, boys. I was swear. Uh, my favourite match, uh, I would probably go Leeds away when we won 2 1. Purely yep. for a couple of reasons. Not only because it was an incredible result and playing at Ellen Road and, you know, it's a, it's a great iconic stadium. But that night, um, Jack Charlton's I met for the first time as I went back to the dressing room. It was next to the home dressing room. And as I walked past, he went, oh, are you? And I looked at him, he went, do you want to come and play for Ireland again? And I went, yeah, yeah, please. And he selected me. I, he went, you, I watched you, I watched you uh, about a year ago. He said, I thought you were a rubbish. <laughs> That's what he said to me. Straight down the line, isn't it? Yeah, that's what he said to me. But that game, I think Leeds away. I mean, Aston Villa in the, the away game in the first game in the top flight was massive for me. Two goals, think, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, that was really big. But I don't know why I always remember that Leeds away game. Is I think Teddy got the other goal. I'm pretty sure Teddy got one. I got one. Yeah. You'd have to look at that one. I'll have to look that, that one up. Two, yeah. two, one up. Two, one, yeah. I've got one here for you, Tony. This is from Ian Cleverly. Um, and we may have we may have touched on these issues already, but a final home game of '88 against Blackburn, we got beat four one. Was Tony really in the pub pre match, or is that just a myth? <laughs> no, I, I, no, yeah, that bit's a myth. But I was myth. in the pub, or I was round, I was round Stevie Woods on the Friday night. We had a bottle of champagne and a few drinks. Uh, that was in that was on the Friday night, and I think we went out. I think nearly every one of us went out every night that week. I was going to say, yeah. yeah, we'd all gone out. We were given days off. Doc went, have a few days. We were promoted. He went, have a few days off, come in Thursday. We came in Thursday. I think, if I remember, I think we went out straight from training, um, straight out on the lash. And, um, yeah, we being champions or coming second, but the whole idea is really, the whole objective was just to get to the top flight for the first time. Absolutely. 
Well, for, so well, it, forgiven you, we've forgiven you after all these yeah. years. You know? yeah. <laughs> I kept Crystal yeah, Palace no, out. It, was, it wasn't the day of the game, but we, we definitely, every day before that game. Uh, I've written some uh, a, a quick fire just to end all this, Tony. Uh, yep. I don't know if you're, you're ready for it. Uh, you ready? Ready? Yeah, yeah. Right, I'm ready. Okay, here we go. So your favourite strike partner was? Oh, easy. Come on. <laughs> do I have to answer that? Yeah, you do. <laughs> Edward, Edward, Edward Sheringham. Edward Paul Sheringham. Uh, your pre-match meal? Uh, my favourite pre-match meal. Now, you're going to really laugh at this because um, I used to have, and all the players used to literally couldn't believe I'd eat it pre-match because it's a bit of an odd one. I used to have a ham sandwich and dip it in hot chocolate at Marseille. <laughs> and it sounds disgusting, I know. I loved it. I, I, do you know what? I was really superstitious. I was honestly, I was really superstitious. That's the next question. That was the next question. Any pre-match rituals or superstitions? Well, it was that. It is exactly that. I, my superstition was that if I did really well, I would stay with what I the previous game. And, I, and at Marseille, for some reason, I had a ham sandwich and a hot chocolate. And all the French boys were looking at me. Ugh, disgusting. <laughs> you know, and, I, and I, I, I started dipping the ham sandwich into the chocolate and eating it. And of course, I, I think I scored my first 10 games at Marseille, something like that. So I was having a little chocolate. And I loved it as well. I still, still have it every now and again now. <laughs> I wasn't expecting right, that answer. We're going to try, try that. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go down to Costa's and order the Tony Cascarino. Yeah. Yeah. A hot chocolate and a ham sandwich for you. Um, best you manager you've played on. Got to do yeah, in the 100%, 100%. It will be dipped. Don't worry. Um, best manager you played under? Club or country? Any. Any, both. Any. Um, I, you're going to think I'm, you're not going to know this guy, right? That's mm-hmm. low Bologna. I'll give you just a little bit of background to him. He was Romanian. He played for Star Bucharest. They won the Champions League in 86 in Barcelona against Barcelona. He played in that team. When I joined Nancy at 34, he said to me, um, how long have you signed contract? Because in France, he didn't negotiate with the manager. The manager was irrelevant, really. He said, how long have you signed for? And I said, well, for about a year and a half. And Because um, I came at Christmas. So I said, he went, you'll play four years. You'll play till you're 38 for me. And I thought, you're joking. No way am I going to play till 38. <laughs> and I did. I played till 38. And he well. was incredible my work ethic of keeping me... He argued, he was a bit of a contradiction because all the things we say, like, oh, when you're an older pro, take it easy, be careful, wrap them up in cotton wool. His first words to me, and he played till he was 42, he said, you've got to train harder than young lads just to keep up with them. Because mm. if you don't, you won't, be, you won't be able to get inside. You won't, 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 won't be able to show what you can do. And he was right. I, so I, it was totally contradicting what I'd heard all my career. Wow. What was his name, son? Laszlo Bologna. Um, But it would be certainly him first and Jack Charlton and Doc equal second because I, yeah, I couldn't separate them, really. Fantastic. Uh, worst manager? Ooh. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've got to say Joseph Vengloss, really, at Villa. Right. Mm. Um, he had huge that was a phenomenal with... squad as well. You had David yeah. Pratt, Tony Daly, a really good squad there. Yeah, and... <sighs> We went to Hong Kong. I'll tell you a story and everybody won me. Um, we, went, we went to Hong Kong and he'd been in the job about six, seven months at the time. 
And we had a week of just basically, it was, uh, I think a match was arranged. It was done for benefit financially for the club, Villa. We had like a 10-day break. And um, we went. And um, he was doing a team meeting. And he was talking about all the preparation for the game, the training and blah, blah, blah. And then he stopped. And the physio, Jim Walker, whispered in his ear. And he, went, and he looked at Jim Walker and went, why? Why do I have to tell them they can't go out? Surely they know. His speech was, I'm, I, I'm told I have to tell you you can't go out. And that was it. Well, the players didn't come in. No one, he didn't see anybody. And he kept asking where the players, he really didn't get. You know when you're, um, and don't get me wrong, there'll be a lot of people who listen and they always go, no, about being unprofessional. But sometimes you have to lay it on the line. Yeah. You know, like we live in this period now and you're actually telling people, please don't go out of your house. And you're yeah, yeah, asking yeah. them nicely. People will just ignore you. And that's what he, <laughs> he, he was very, very like. He, unfortunately, I'd say the worst manager, I just think he really had no idea how to handle uh, professional players. Sounds like a completely different culture, a different different kind of idea yeah, on what professional yeah. football was about. I've had, I had one manager called, I called him the Riddler. Well, you just basically <laughs> talked in riddles. Where you say, well, coming at half time, you're 2 0 down, and you go, well, were they, were they really good or were we really bad? <laughs> Did they want it and we didn't want it? <laughs> it's talk like that all the time. All the guys, you can imagine, we're literally roaring. But anyway, if Graham Taylor had stuck around, you could have had a better do I not like that. <laughs> yeah. You know, but he upped it and left. Yeah. Um, favorite ground to play at? Uh, must say. Ah, that hurts, Tone. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, the old, I, as, as I'm saying it, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it, I'm thinking, oh, the old den. It wasn't the nicest place, but the velodrome, I've got to say, it was a stadium way beyond many others, you know, even going back a good few years. Uh, worst moment in football? Um, worst moment in football? Oh, oh, yeah, definitely. Um, being at Celtic Park, getting absolute pelters by the jungle, getting, <laughs> getting, getting substituted and doing the walk. And getting the whole of the stadium boomy as I'm walking off to the state to the dugout, and I was so tempted to turn around and do a sign to all the fans, you know. And I'm thankfully I didn't because I don't think I'd have got out of Scotland. You wouldn't get out of Glasgow, mate. No. Um, that was that walk still stays with me. Wow. I literally I was having a stinker, and a ball, a goalkeeper done a drop kick, and I went to take it out of the air with my foot, you know, to control it, and I missed the ball. And the, just, the jungle at the park it just went mental. And my number came up immediately. And it was like, thank God I can go off now. You know, I remember thinking, thank God, get me off, get me out. And, and that was about as bad as it got. They absolutely slaughtered me. I mean, the man they swapped you for, Celtic, he, he didn't do too bad there, did he? Oh, Tommy Boyd, was it? Yeah. Yeah, he's done okay. He did all right there. Yeah, it's a weird. I mean, I did get. A, to be honest, I scored against the old firm. I scored against Glasgow Rangers. Um, I got standing ovation when we played Hearts because I came on as a sub. And in seven minutes, I scored, gave away a penalty, and got sent off and got standing ovation in seven minutes. So, yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd imagine that doesn't quite qualify as your best moment in football, but go on, Nick. Just, to, well, just um, interesting listening to, to Tony there. I mean, how does, looking back at it all, I mean, how does Mill fit into, your, into the picture of your career, Tony? I mean, obviously you've played at some big venues, some big, yeah. some big clubs, 
you know, um, internationally. How do you see, it was quite a short period actually, 1987 to, to 1990. How does yeah. it fit into the picture of your life in that sense? Game changer. It was, a, you know, my first club I'd had any success with. Yeah. Um, so it's my baby, if you like, of my career. In, I don't, again, I'll be careful how I say it, but it yeah. was my friendships with everybody there. Yeah. My relationship with Millwall fans today and my connection in many, in many ways with the old Kent Road and South London, the elephant from my dad. Um, so Millwall means a hell of a lot to me. And, you know, my friendship with players, it's just everything about the club fitted for me at that time. Um, and I, I think the, the fans have always appreciated a trier. You know, if anything of Millwall you've got to do, if you ever want to win over a Millwall fan, it's basically trying. And, and, and that, yeah. you're, you're on the right foot after that. You know, it's what will be, will be. Yeah, I yeah, agree. It's, so it, it fitted in with, you know, it's just a good, the memories and souvenirs I've got from that period is just extraordinary. You know, it's, it's lovely. I don't go down as Millwall as much as I, I'd like to, uh, but that's not our choice. That's normally just due to work. Yeah. But when I can, I still go. I still, even though, you know, last season I popped down every now and again. It's been fantastic talking to you, Tom. Really appreciate it. Yeah, that. it's been a pleasure. Anything, you know, I said, boys, as soon as you, you know, called me and whatever and just come on, it, you know, it's always, it's an enjoyable experience just talking about not only my career, but my, my time, even though it's probably too short-lived uh, at Millwall, it was an incredible time. And, and, and for, for many people I meet still today, the greatest time of, especially the older generation of Millwall for them. Absolutely. We'll take Absolutely. that. We'll take that as your best moment in football. You know, your best moment in football because you you, you sacked off Carl Blow Lane for the Velodrome. Yeah. We'll, we'll say 1987, 88 <laughs> was your best. Moment in we'll, yeah. do, we'll, 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 we'll do that time. Um, very, very quickly on a side note. Um, how is your health? Obviously, you know, you you did have health issues in in 2018. Are you well? Are you fit? Are you are you good? Yeah. Um. I obviously 2018. I had a tumor removed from my head, which I was lucky it was benign so i say it was a basic operation it was 12 and a half hour surgery which was quite um, yeah, it's not very complex <laughs> well, yeah, yeah it, it didn't look particular. i didn't look particularly good afterwards no but, um no. no i'm fine i've got my two-year check in july um i don't know if that'll stay as it is because of obviously covid19 yeah um and uh, you know if i can still go and have that scan but as far as I feel, I, there was sometimes a little bit different. On, I, I, I get the odd severe headache, which I never used to get, but that's, you know, par for the course, really, that every now and again I'll get a bit of a side effect. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. Um, it's, you know, I wouldn't want to hear the ball anymore. I know that. I'm good. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm good. Fantastic. Good, good, good. Tony Cascarino, thank you so much. I mean, genuinely, thank you so much for joining us on Actor Mill. Absolutely different class. Brilliant stuff. Um, Brilliant stuff. You know, we, 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 we've, we've sort of run through um, an, another striker. We had Steve Claridge on, and uh, no doubt, I think a lot of people are going to love this one as well. I really appreciate you joining us. Tony Cascarino, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Actor Mill. Um, thank you, Tony. Available. Uh, don't forget all the other bits. David Ford, Steve Claridge, Mike Calvin, available. Uh, Billy Taylor as well. Never forget Billy Taylor, available no, no, on iTunes, on Spotify, and Acast. Nick Hart, thank you very much. The Podfather. Uh, thank for, you. Thank for, you, uh, Tony. Thank you, Tony. Thank you for what you did with the club. Cheers, boys. All the best.
Brilliant. There you go. Nick, 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 Nick can actually have a rest now, Tony. He's, 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 <laughs> he's on a come down now. He's on a come down now from, from you know, from, from a bit of excitement. Uh, but yeah, ladies and gentlemen, keep tuned to Actor More, plenty more podcasts on the way. Until next time, bye for now. Actung Millwall and the Real Millwall Fan Show are the number one Millwall podcast and we want to hear from you. So get in touch with us. Let us know your thoughts, your views, your rants about all things Millwall. We've got email, actungmillwall at gmail.com. All one word, actungmillwall at gmail.com. You can get in touch with us and leave us a voicemail on 0208 144 0232. That's 0208 144 0232 leave us a voicemail no human will be involved in the receipt of your message so give us a shout tell us what you think about all things Millwall and the best messages will be read out on air Achtung Mailball Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.